I don't often talk about the demonic. I often don't talk about Satan because I honestly don't feel like I want to give him any um, attention. But there are certain things that we do need to talk about. I believe today there are three things that we need to be aware of that is a tactic and a tool of the enemy that will keep us underneath his or our wrong perception of who we are. There's three things that we need to talk about, and it's going to be taken from the woman, the story of the woman at the well, from John chapter 4. And uh, this is a very well-known uh, story, an account of Jesus and this woman, this Samaritan woman. So I'm not going to read verse by verse like I normally do. Um, I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit. It's a little bit different than what I normally do. Now, the interesting thing about this, though, is is when John writes, last week I talked about that Jesus, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was baptizing with his disciples and Jesus' disciples were baptizing. There are some places that it would indicate that Jesus was, but here John actually says that his disciples were doing the baptizing under Jesus' authority, but Jesus was not baptizing. So it's not a big deal to get hung up one way or the other, but I just wanted to point that out, being I wasn't going to touch on that um, today. But it does say that in parentheses that they were baptizing, but Jesus himself wasn't the one doing the baptism. Um, but anyways, water baptism. So here's the woman at the well. Okay, so Jesus midday is in Samaria. Jesus is a Jew, as you know. Disciples are Jews. And a Samaritan woman, middle of the day. A couple things about this story. Um, Jews and Samaritans probably didn't have a lot of interaction. Actually, the Samaritans were kind of considered kind of outcast people. Um, also, a so then a man and a woman probably in culturally wouldn't spend a lot of time communicating together. The Samaritan woman is getting water in midday. That's not typical for women when they were collecting water. It was, uh, we know that she was there because that was a safe time for her to go that no, none of the other women were around. Now, Jesus uh, confronts her and he basically says... Um, woman, can you get me some water? And she says, well, I don't have anything to get you some water to give you water. She has her jug. She says, the well's deep, but you don't have anything to scoop the water out with. And he goes on this discourse about the water that he wants to give you is this living water, this water that will make her thirst no more. So we know this story, but I, I want to go back, and then he actually, he calls something out of her. And, and this is an important par part, by the way, and, and hopefully you have, if you have a notebook or something to take notes on, it's really important because I feel like there's a couple things that are going to be said here today that, that are important for you to walk away with and revisit. And so if your phone's something, write down. And I also believe that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you time and time again when I say that. People will say, like, I got this. I felt God really stirring in me in this. And it's like so unique how the Holy Spirit works in these times. And so you want to make sure that you are like really like God is wanting to speak to you individually this morning, even though I'm speaking to a congregation, speaking to you online. Um, but he's going to speak to you very individually as well. So he calls something out of her. He said, um, he says, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're absolutely right. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you're with right now is not your husband. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but you, you might be thinking, oh, she's one of them. 
right? She can't keep a man, whatever your story or narrative is. But let me, it doesn't say this in the scripture. I'm going to tell, I'm going to make up a scenario, but I, I want you to think about who this woman is now by afterwards. So have a picture of who this woman is in your mind. Now I'm going to tell you a story. So her first husband, when she was married, um, she earnestly wanted to provide kids for her husband, and she was barren. She was not able to provide kids. And in that culture, that kids were everything. And her husband started to demean her and degrade her like, woman, you can't even provide um, a family for us. What kind of woman are you? And he cast her away because she couldn't bear kids. And so she went on to the next guy, and the next guy said the same thing. Woman, I, I like you're supposed to providing me a family. You can't provide a family, and and so she starts then saying, you know what? I know I can't have kids, so maybe I'll just marry another guy, and hopefully, maybe hopefully, uh, I can somehow be complete and be satisfying my husband. Only now she's five husbands later, and the guy she's with is no longer. Um, is not a longer a husband. She's realizing that why do I even get married? Because I'm just going to um, be used and abused. That I'm no good. That I can't do what, what a good wife should do. H- how would you view that woman now? Is she a sleaze? Is she a whore? Or is she a broken person? who now has been identified by what the, the hurtful words that people have said against her. Now, not only is that, now she goes into trying to get water during the beginning of the day where most women, or at an evening when most women would get water, and the, the women would be like, see, she can't keep a husband. What kind of woman is she? She can't, she can't even keep a husband. The gossip, gossip around her, and, and then she finds herself completely broken with that. Not only can she be good enough for her husband, now her community is, is saying things against her. And, and so now she's having to go get water in a day that she hopefully she never sees anybody. She doesn't want to engage with anybody. So here's Jesus. Now I made up that story, but it might be true. And here's Jesus that he sees her in her state and he says, I can give you water that will make you thirst no more. And in her initial mind was like, you can give me water while I never have to go to the well again, where I'm going to get, you know, chastised. I have to go in public again. Yes, give me this never ending water. Like, is my jug always going to be full? But then when he says, no, the water I'm going to give you is, is a different kind of water. It's a water of, of filling you up with my love and acceptance of who you are. I think we don't really know the full encounter. We know midday, disciples went off to get food, and so it's just Jesus and this woman. This woman drops her or leaves her jar, her, her container. It wouldn't be a jar. It would be a vessel, a clay vessel, her water vessel, tears off and starts saying that Jesus is the Messiah. At first, it was like, who's this Jewish man? Then she says, you're a prophet because you're telling me things about my life. And then she says, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, which now something changed inside of her. Something changed inside of her. So now I'm going to go talk about the enemy for a moment. There are three things that I believe the enemy will, Christians alike, by the way, non-Christians 
um, are more susceptible, but Christians are very susceptible to this. There's three things the enemy likes to uh, use against us. One is unforgiveness, two, bitterness, and three, fear, and the flip side of fear is pride. Interestingly enough, I don't know what was going on in that woman, but in that scenario where it was like her husband started really putting her down, really making her feel less than as a person, that she was only good whether or not she bore children for her husband, she could start feeling pretty, um, like he's a pretty mean guy. And then husband number two, and eventually she'd be like, I can't forgive those guys who've just made such awful statements about me. And that unforgiveness continues to, to carry with her every relationship, so much so that she might as well just be with a guy and not make a commitment to a guy. Because after all, those guys, all guys are just, all husbands are going to put me down this way. And I know I can't fulfill what I need to fulfill. And then, then there's bitterness. Bitterness would be like the, the, she would go to the well in the morning and those, those other women would be jeering and, and, and saying awful things about her. And she can begin to start saying, you know, I get really bitter not only against, against these other women who are gossiping about me. They don't know my life. If they really knew my life, what if they were in my shoes, right? They couldn't. Happy girls for you. You all have your families. I don't have a family. You all have your kids. I, don't, I can't have kids. And this bitterness starts to well up inside of her. And so much so, it's like, I can't even stand seeing them. I can't even stand being in their presence because, because they're just going to like ridicule me. Bitterness starts to take root. And then fear, the fear of like, you know what? No man is actually going to love me for the way I am. I've tried it so many times. Each time it's a failure. And, and, and so, so then you begin to, fear sets in to saying, you know what? I guess I'm only good for this. And fill in the blank of what this is in this stage of her life. As she's now with a man who's not even her husband. The enemy works in those ways. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. It requires repentance to move away. Now, Jesus didn't say, repent, woman. But he did say that, that later on, he says, God is looking for worshipers, and he's looking for worshipers of spirit of, and truth. He's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Interestingly, that John, the author of this book, is, is giving him that example. And Pastor Richie, you did a great job wherever Pastor Richie is. Great job on a night of worship. was powerful, so beautiful night of worship. I left feeling so filled with love and joy. this beautiful night. But Pastor Richie shared a little bit about, and I, I think sometimes this is the beauty of Scripture, is it's like a prism. Like, you can just touch about one side of that prism and, uh, or that cut stone, and, and then you can talk about another side of that cut stone, and it's still complete. It's still the cut stone, but it's the brilliance of it that you can just take a little different parts of it. And so today I'm going to take a little different part of what worshiping in spirit and truth looks like. But it's attached to this story. So, so as the enemy begins to want to plant bitterness inside of you, want to create unforgiveness in you, and want to rule your life with fear or the flip side of it with pride. And now, first of all, I want you to take a moment and say, what are the things you've been doing in your life that have been rooted in fear? 
Now, here's the interesting thing. As Christians, we don't do a really good job, even as a culture, identifying what motivates us. We put on a cloak of, and a lot of times we put it on a cloak of like, we, we Christianize it. I'll give you an example. Fear. I'm still growing. I never thought that I had the fear of man, but I realized I did. And, and I'll give you an example, because uh, a few, probably five years ago, somebody gave me like this, well, it's almost 20 years old now, but this little convertible Mercedes coupe. It was a cute little car. And, and I thought, okay, it's a gift. I'll take it. It's nice. But I found myself, I would never drive it on Sunday. And I would be very careful if I knew I was going around any other Christians driving it because I, I just, I don't know what they would say. You know, I was, I was thinking about getting a license plate that had pastor written on it and the S would be a dollar sign. Pastor, you know, that would really make... But in my, I, I say that jokingly, but that goes along to my fear. My fear was like, are they going to start judging me because, because I'm driving this car? That was a gift from the Lord, by the way, to me. It's crazy I'm going to get emotional about a car because it's just a car. This summer I was going to sell it because I, I stopped having joy to driving it. I know, it's crazy, I'm getting emotional about a car, but, but it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper because it was a gift that I couldn't appreciate because I was afraid of what people would say. Pastor Richie helped me through that one. Where are you, Pastor Richie? I can't see you somewhere. He's here somewhere. All right. He helped me through that. He goes, you're selling a car that was a gift? <laughs> Shame on you, right? <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He, but he helped me walk through that. And I think sometimes, and here's my Christianese. It's like, I don't want to cause somebody to stumble. That's what I said. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. Like I, don't, like, I don't want to be a distraction. You know, I know some people abuse the name of claim it gospel, which I don't, I'm not a, I don't preach and you know I don't I'd hold to and I don't want to be lumped in with one of them or I also don't want somebody to say like oh we're paying them too much you can afford that well meanwhile it's a 20 year old car that's probably less than worth less than every single car in the parking lot <laughs> um, but I didn't enjoy it because of the fear that I had of what people would say but God had to bring that out of me that fear and for some of you, it's bitterness. Some of you are still bitter at God because something happened in your life and you're blaming God. Has God had nothing to do with it. Some of you have not forgiven the person that has really hurt you. And you claim that you are going to never forgive them because they don't deserve your forgiveness. Let me, let me tell you about there's a scripture, though. There's a scripture that says, if we can't forgive, God doesn't forgive us. Whoa, what do we do with that scripture? And, and he says this. He actually says that if we can't forgive the, the, the sins of others, God will not forgive our sins. Ouch. Is that really in scripture? Yes, it is. It's Matthew 6, 15, if you want to look it up. Matthew 6, 15. Can I tell you why? It's not that God can, is not able to forgive your sins. 
is that you cannot receive his forgiveness. Because here's the principle. Here's the principle. You can't have what you can't give. You can't have what you can't give. Here's unforgiveness. I am not going to give that person forgiveness because they don't deserve it. And God is saying, I want to forgive you. I want to forgive you. But I can't receive it because I've never given it. If you give it, your hand goes open and now you can receive it. You can't have what you don't give. It's the same thing with money. I know some of you are struggling with tithing and giving, but I'll tell you what, here's the principle. Here's the greatest gift that that God has given us. If we can't give our resources to him, he can't pour resources into us. But when we can give it, he can give it to us. It's, it's just a simple principle. It's not that he's withholding it from you. It's just that we can't receive it. It's like we, we've shielded ourselves from receiving the forgiveness that, that he wants to give us because, because we haven't released other people. And therefore, we're bound. And here's the, this is why it's the enemy. The enemy knows that. That's why he wants to bind you with bitterness and unforgiveness and fear. Because as long as we're controlled by those things, we cannot live in spirit and truth and worship in spirit and truth. So let me tell you what spirit and truth is from from this perspective. Here's a woman in the well. She's encountered Jesus and something changed in a moment for her. I believe it was her identity. Her identity changed as a woman who was less than, who was an outcast probably in her community. Whatever reason, she's been with five husbands and now the guy she's with is not one. She's in the middle of the day getting her water because she doesn't want to be around other people. But something changed where all of a sudden she started running through her community, not ashamed of who she was, to tell people about Jesus. Her identity changed. Jesus says that only true worshipers can worship in spirit, which means is that's why we have to receive Jesus in our life, because that ignites our spirit. I think the truth part of that, though, is truth is, is our identity, that we create the true identity. We understand who we are in Christ Jesus. So when we worship in spirit, our spirit's alive, and then we receive who God says we are. We worship in spirit and truth. But as long as we listen to the lies of the enemy, which is bound by unforgiveness, bitterness, and fear, flip side, pride, we're no longer, we, we, we can't hear what it is that God is wanting to say to us because we're bound by the lies and our identity then is created around those lies that we've listened to. And the beauty of Jesus is, this is his, this is why he preached the kingdom of God. He didn't preach, you got to be righteous. Now, as you live in the kingdom of God, your life will become righteous. But it's not, it's the flip side of what the, the Pharisees and the people of the law try to do. They try to live righteous and they miss the kingdom of God. You, you follow the kingdom of God, you'll want to live righteous. And so when you begin to pursue who God says you are, then you're like, oh my word, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is my freedom. I'm no longer fear of man. I'm no longer bound by unforgiveness. I, I, I'm free. 
free to pursue the things that God has for my life. Now, interesting, when we go on a little fast forward, Jesus goes on, disciples come back and said, Jesus, we got some food, come eat with us. And then Jesus says this, verse uh, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Yet I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving uh, wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying holds true. One sows, another one reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored for which you have uh, have entered into their labor. Jesus says the food that he is doing is to do the will of the Father. And here's another key for us. Here's another key for us. By the way, we are to be living like Jesus. You're saying, well, that's Jesus' life. That's the Son of God. No, we are to be living. Jesus is the model for us. And, and so here's, it's so interesting. When your identity changes, the woman at the well, her identity changed. She went and told everybody. She's the, like one of the greatest evangelists. So many people came to Christ because of her. Her shame fell off. Her, her, um, her misperception of who she was was removed. And she understood who she was in Christ Jesus. Loved, forgiven. She was cherished. And then Jesus goes on to say, the thing that you think, he's saying to his disciples, the thing that you think is going to satisfy you, like eating a meal... Jesus says, the true satisfaction comes when you're on purpose, doing the purpose that God has designed for your life. You will find more satisfaction in life, so much so, the satisfaction, because here's the enemy, he wants to play on your flesh, and he wants to move you in these areas of unforgiveness, bitterness, and then the manifestation of it is guilt and shame, then we mask it with all kinds of things in the world, whether it's Sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it is overworking, whether it's overeating, you know, those are symptomatic of what the root is, which is understanding your purpose and your true satisfaction in life is doing the work that God has sent you to do, which, by the way, is to set other people free, set the captives free. So... Have you gotten any good notes yet? All right, keep writing. So there's two things here for us. One is identifying where we have bought the lie. Okay, here, let me talk about repentance. Why we need to repent from bitterness, unforgiveness, and uh, fear slash pride. Repentance, and, and Jesus, remember John the Baptist, John the Baptist was, uh, was talking about repentance. I think sometimes we think repentance is like trying to get ourselves right with God. And I, I question if that's actually true. I think it makes us right with God, but that's not the purpose of it. I think the purpose of repentance is acknowledging the agreement that you made with the enemy. I think repentance is realizing, saying, I bought a lie... And I'm walking in a lie, and I repent from that. And when we repent from the lie that we've lived in, 
it sets us free to then be in right relationship with our Father in heaven. Oh yes, John, you can play. I'm ready to land, I'm ready to land this plane. So don't be afraid of repentance, right? Somehow repent, some, we feel like, oh, I got to repent. I messed up again. No, you need, to, you need to come to the place of saying repentance is a gift for you because what it does is it breaks the, the tie and the bondage that Satan has over your life because you've, you've, you've accepted the lie. You've exchanged the lie for the truth. And so, so if you have any unforgiveness, you need to repent of that because you're realizing that that has, has hindered you and has created an identity in you that is not fulfill, allowing you to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. And part of that purpose is to set other people free. The food that, that we want to eat is the food of helping set other people free. And it's so satisfying. And I think this is the thing. If you were to put satisfaction, I think you've been there. If you've been a Christian, you've, you've, you've maybe been in that place before where you feel so full as you're pursuing God. And then you, then you realize, wait a second, my passions have kind of gotten at his skew a little bit. I'm looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. Why am I doing that? And then it becomes a cycle. And I would say, they break the cycle through repentance of finding out where there's fear, bitterness, and unforgiveness. The other gift that I just want to close this on is... Jesus had a way of so gently bringing something to the light. So he used his prophetic gift or his gift of knowledge, I guess is the gift of knowledge, to be able to call out what was going on in that woman's life. And I think the other thing that we're afraid of, and this is one thing that I, I don't know, this is a little side note here. I think the heart of it was right. I think the Catholic Church confession was, the heart of it was right, which is a safe place to unpack the burden and bring to the light the things that were done in darkness. Unfortunately, it became ritual and there was whatever, whatever, whatever in that. But, but the principle is right in the sense of that we need to bring the stuff that's in the dark into the light. And that's part of our healing journey. Because as long as we keep it in the dark, we're not free. And we're still living under fear. Some of you are afraid of what people may say if they actually knew. I had forgotten this part of my journey. When I share that story of my friend coming over to my house and, and experiencing the Holy Spirit for the first time, what I didn't ever share, and it was a reminder of me um, in preparing for this, is the, the process that I took. I remember I went into one of our bedrooms um, just to be quiet in the house. It was a small little house, and the guy was praying uh, with me, and he says, it's really important that you share some stuff of your past that you want to be free from. I remember there's things in my life that nobody knew about. 
nobody knew about. I remember that night I shared them. And it was such a freeing thing. You know, I recount that story and to say, well, it was my encounter with the Holy Spirit that radically changed me. And I, I wonder if though it was bringing some of the, what was in the dark into the light was part of that radical transformation. Because Jesus knew in his gracious way of saying, woman, I know where you've been. Those things in the dark that you have, that have held you and bound you, I'm bringing it to the light. And by the way, when he brings it to the light, he never condemns her and he never judges her. That is a great lesson for us. If somebody wants to confess something to us, you never condemn them and you never judge them. You love them. Because the reality is, like the guys who are throwing the stones when the woman caught in adultery, right? Jesus, like, well, I can't remember what was it, Jesus? Okay, yeah, Jesus. That's okay. I'm just a guy trying to communicate words here. Okay, uh, so those of you who have no sin in your life cast the first stone, right? And they all walked away. The reality is, guys, is we all have done awful things. We all have done awful things. So who are we to ever get self-righteous to feel like when somebody comes to us who maybe even been walking with the Lord for a long time decides to confess some things that maybe, you know, as part of their, their, their story of redemption, of them being set free, that then they can have their right identity so they, now they can hear their purpose of God and now they can go around setting up other people free and, and removing the bondage that Satan has put around them because he is trying to suck as many people to hell as he can with them of unforgiveness, bitterness, and fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, the Bible says. Perfect love casts out all fear. And God is love, and His church should be love. And we need to have confidence to realize that we don't need to walk through this life in fear. Bible scripture also says, don't love your life as unto death. In other words, even you shouldn't even be afraid of death. Because that fear, anything that fear is fear-based rules you. It rules you. But love motivates you, doesn't rule you. Love motivates you. And you can walk in freedom motivated, listening to the Holy Spirit, because now you're no longer afraid of what people are going to say about you. You're not afraid of fear of man. You're not afraid of your past sin. If somebody finds out, somebody finds out, you know, I'm the biggest fraud. I'm the biggest fraud out there because I show up on church every Sunday and they don't know what I do in darkness. I'm the biggest fraud. And that's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. But what he is saying, he's saying, again, sin, sin is rude, is the, is the second stage of the roots of unforgiveness, bitterness, and fear. So you just need to walk. You need to identify where those things in your life... Okay, I'm, I'm closing right now. Identify where there's unforgiveness. <laughs> I said that 10 minutes ago. Everybody's up here. Oh, hey. <laughs> All right, we got something here. Yep, okay. I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. The Holy Spirit is interrupting. If All that's right, okay. He's, you're on fire today, and I'm sitting over here and just... 
the Holy Spirit is convicting me, and I know he's doing it in our hearts. He has this really gentle way. And I hear Jesus saying that as you obey what you're hearing in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is so faithful, and you can trust him. You can trust him that he's going to come as as you come and you confess those things to him in your quiet time or even to a friend like Pastor Mark was saying, he's going to fill you with his love and forgiveness like you can't even imagine. And I just hear him saying, trust me because his plans for you are amazing above any, any kind of dream or imagination you have. But you have to step over that threshold that the enemy's keeping you at this line and he's like just pummeling you with guilt and shame, as Pastor Mark was saying. And as soon as you make that choice in your heart and you say, no, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I, you, what all the gifts you have for me. And I am going to be setting people free through this testimony that he's building in you. But you have to step over that and say, I repent. Because that's a gift, like Pastor Mark was saying. So do it. <laughs> all right, thank you so thank much. You. Well, thank you for landing my plane for me because that was perfect. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>